Our reading is Acts chapter one, verse one to nine. Should be up in the screen. Acts chapter one. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of forty days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he began. Uh, he gave them this command: "Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water." But in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, "Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel?" He said to them, "It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria." And to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. The word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. Morning. It's good to see some familiar faces again, and I always receive a a very warm welcome here. So this church, I don't live too far away. Sometimes I travel uh, quite a while away out of the Sydney Basin, but I always feel at home here uh, because people are Bible-believing Christians, and they're they're welcoming uh, with a warm heart and a lot of coffee and a lot of food out the back as well. So don't rush away, uh, visitors. Uh, I brought a couple of instruments as well to, to make the point of my message. So don't be uh, harmed that, you know, uh, one of the speakers brought a sword in church. It's, it's harmless. This is my niece's uh, little sword. But uh, I wanted to thank you uh, for Pastor David. And to be honest, your, I think not just this church, but your pastoral care heart extends further uh, than these four walls. So he's been a... a I would say a father and a you know a spiritual father for me, and even being able to um, give opportunities to be able to to talk about these things to the church, uh, a young rag rat, <laughs> rug rat like myself, um, and so I, I wanted to thank you, Derek as well, and and Ross always very encouraging, and Jane, and there there was a few others that I have met. Trying to remember names is not my specialty. I, I'm praying for that gift. Of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but I think it's so timely, isn't it, that we're focusing on Acts 1, and especially as you mentioned, David, that the, the Holy Spirit is at move in this city. And I wanted to make the point that I, I get to see moves of the Lord every Friday night, but not just in Town Hall, where I'm based, but there's places in Burwood, 
where brothers and sisters are faithfully preaching in Liverpool, in Parramatta. And so please pray for the teams that go out. And if it is on your heart, I, I know this is the season where people are looking for hope. They're looking for direction. We've got everything we need, but suicide is on the, the highest rising rate, depression and anxiety. How much, how much more do people look for a word of hope in a season like this? Uh, so I hope that's the point of my message, to stir you up. Uh, it's not so much about just the persecuted or, or about myself by any means, but it's about the word of God going out to accomplish his will in our lives. And so these pictures here, I'm not sure if people at the back can see them, maybe a little bit blurry. Um, you, can, you still have the option to rush up, get a seat at the front if you want. Um, but this is a team that goes out every Friday night, rain, hail, or shine, to share the gospel and the good news of Jesus. And I tell you what, there is about 12 to 30 people every single week that respond to the message, that are taking, I won't call them salvations, but they're taking a step closer to Jesus, making a decision to take his word seriously. 12 to, to 30 people every week. Imagine that. That can change a whole generation by the time in six months. And this is what I want to encourage the local churches to mobilize and to, to have scatter the seeds. It's not our job to, to determine where they fall, but people are willing. And many Chinese young students, ones from Iran, Middle Eastern backgrounds where they won't hear the gospel anywhere else, but they get to hear it and see it proclaimed here at Town Hall. Um, and so please continue to pray for us. I do have a quick video. In fact, how amazing is that? That's multi, that's nations, many nations and tribes gathering to worship the Lord. Bringing heaven on earth, you would say. And so, yeah, I, I don't know if you can see me there, but I'm tucked away in the corner. And uh, I've been with Voice of the Martyrs for two and a half years now, so I, I hope uh, I would be encouraging with you, but I know that there's many, many wise and uh, very learned people here. So don't come to try and be an expert with, you know, amazing wisdom. I, I know that there's so much for me to learn, so I, I look forward to the conversations afterwards uh, to, to be sharpened as well. This is a quick video of my uh, one of my brothers leading this young girl to the Lord. And her, her friend, who was very, you'd say, iron-minded, atheism was the, the religion she held to, she had to sit and watch her friend melt and be touched by the Holy Spirit and receive Jesus um, right next to her. Jesus. Jesus. I believe. I believe. You are the Son of God. Today, Jesus. Today, Jesus. I want you to come into my Jesus Christ. Come into my heart. I don't know if everyone could hear that, but that was 
the gospel touching someone's heart. And her countenance changed after that. Her friend was like, you look different. And so praise God. Uh, please continue to pray for our city, even in Burwood. Um, you may be asking questions. This is the people that I get to hang out with, and I'm so privileged to be able to. Um, the man in the middle at the bottom, that's Merv Knight. He's the co-founder of Voice of the Martyrs, first planted here in 1969 with Pastor Richard Wombrand. And this man is 91 years old this November, <laughs> November 30th. And he still turns up to the office every single day. 92 years old every single day. And he sends me emails. He um, exhorts me to make him a cup of coffee and all sorts of things. But I, I'm so encouraged by this because I didn't have grandparents. Uh, they passed away when I was pretty young. But this is who God has given me to mentor me. And uh, someone that I believe when you have a calling on your life, when God has got his hand and you're surrendered in his hand, whether you're 18 years old or, or 30 years old or 92, that, that calling, that joy of serving the Lord does not go away. So I, I just wanted to leave anyone that's uh, needing encouragement, that's growing weary or maybe feeling like they need to retire from, from church life. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, the Lord is tarrying. Uh, the, the man next to him, that's Eric Foley. This brother, for the last 22 years, has been serving faithfully North Korean Christians and defectors wherever North Korean Christians and defectors are found in places like northern Russia. They sent there in the, in the uh, Siberian log mining camps to cut in the, in the bitter cold, or in places like China, South Korea, even North Africa in Europe. And their the desperation is to make money for their family. Many of them are impoverished, and in fact, they have no other choice. A lot of the times when they're sent, their family is held under bondage by Kim Il-sung and the regime to say, this is the consequences if you're not making money for the government. And so 10%, maybe even less, are the ones that are fed and everyone else is making money. To, it's like a rat wheel to, to turn the, the screws for them. But I wanted to leave you with this, like what God is doing in the midst of the most evil regime that we know about in modern history. In the last 20, uh, 30 years of the World Watch list existing, North Korea has been number one, number one for 29 years of them. The only time it's changed is when uh, the Taliban took over Afghanistan. But 29 years, number one. And I, I want to explain how that's possible, possible, but what God is doing in the midst of growing his church. And this is why I want to point to this sign. Voice of the Martyrs. In fact, Eric Foley met one of the brothers on his speaking deputations. He's spoken at 40 different countries around the world. And a man came up to him and he said, Voice of the Martyrs, huh? Well, what does the voice of the martyrs say? In other words, if, if um, a martyr was going to speak, what do they say? And he looked at Eric and he laughed and, and he said, I bet you it's something like, help. <laughs> yeah, crying out for, for help. 
sometimes we, we pity them in that way. And Eric's response was, he looked at him and he said, well, that's very interesting. Let me tell you a story uh, about the first time I met an underground North Korean Christian. And like every good Western Mer- American pastor would say, he, after he um, read, uh, sorry, interviewed the Bay family, uh, by the way, these books are going to be free uh, for you. After he interviewed this family, he was so saddened by the difficulty and the suffering that they would go through for their faith every single day. And he looked at him and he said, how, how can I pray for you? And the North Korean underground Christian said, you pray for us? We, we pray for you. <laughs> and in Eric's mind... He's thinking, well, how dare this man tell me that he prays for me? I, I'm from America, the land of the free, the land of the very rich Christians. How, how dare he say these things to me? And this, he was saying this in his mind. He thought his wife maybe had mistranslated. And he also thought that the North Korean underground Christian could possibly read his mind because he looked at Eric and he said, See, that's the problem with you Western and South Korean Christians. Said, you have so much money and so much freedom. In North Korea, we have neither money nor freedom. All we have is Jesus. And we have found him to be sufficient. (laughs) And after Eric got knocked off his stool by the Holy Spirit, uh, he came to the realization that saying the voice of the martyrs does not scream out, help, but it it screams out and proclaims that Jesus is sufficient. Whether you're in North Korea, whether you're in Australia, he's sufficient. And so this is the voice of the martyrs. In fact, some may think of the word martyr. We know the word of martyr as martyrdom, as a bloody moment in time where someone gets their head locked off or, or goes to prison. Uh, that's the common understanding of martyr. But as we look at our text today, it says that Jesus came to teach and to do the kingdom. The first three verses. After he suffered, he appeared to his post- apostles over 40 days and he taught them about the kingdom of God. And afterwards, they were asking him, I was like, this is our chance, Lord. This is, this is the time. Lord, is this the time that you're going to unify Judea and Jerusalem? Are you going to bond together Judea, uh, uh, Judah and Samaria? Uh, are, are you going to... Let, let's maybe ask Peter to get his, his sword and we'll go on to, to triumphantly march to Tiberius Caesar, the, uh, the, um, the emperor at that time. And overthrow them, right? Lord, get your army ready. Let's go. Is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom of God? When you're going to kick out all of the bad leaders in politics, in Australian politics? Is, is this the time when you're going to vote them all out? And we're going to have peace and reign again. And Jesus responds to them. The timing of these things, this is none of your business. But as for you... You go out into all the world. You go out to Jerusalem. 
Judea and Samaria, and you be my witnesses of the kingdom of God. That word witnesses there is the word martyrs. And so we sometimes have the understanding that it's a a moment where someone's in prison or their head locked off. The word there, martyrs, is actually faithful witnesses of our Lord Jesus Christ. So all of us here today are martyrs for Jesus. In fact, it's, it's said 180 times in the New Testament that you are martyrs. Normally it's uh, translated as disciples or followers of the way. But in this case, it's witnesses. So I, I pray that you wouldn't be the one that screams out, help, but you would be a martyr that would scream out, Jesus is sufficient, like our persecuted brothers and sisters. And when Jesus says in the context that you go and be my witnesses, he's saying this to say, there's nothing else that needs to be done. There's no law that needs to be passed. There's no government that needs to be overthrown for you to be my effective witnesses, for my will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so he's already accomplished everything that we have to do. We just have to tell the world about the news. Amen? And so I hope that uh, gives you some uh, respite, that you are a martyr also. But many times I meet many Christians, many martyrs in the free world in Australia that are concerned that our world is uh, like, a, like a dark cloud looming over and it's getting ready to rain on Christians like a heavy, terrifying storm. Sometimes we, we feel so anxious about these things. Oh my gosh, the world is starting to close in on us. And it's almost like the world is on a constant attack, getting ready for a rampage. And it's almost like to the point that we struggle that if persecution were to ever come our way, would we be faithful to hold on? But I would, I, I know this can maybe offend some people, but a lot of the times Christian get, Christians get their understanding of persecution from the news, from world history, or from movies like the Avengers or, or Lord of the Rings. But I, I want to tell you that Eric Foley had taught me this, and I've never forgotten it. It's about coming to a biblical perspective of persecution. And so what is persecution? We know that the Lord Jesus in Colossians 2, it says that he triumphed over the dark principalities. He nailed all of the death and sin that was destined for all his believers on the cross. And he made a spectacle of the devil. He triumphed over them. He he put them to shame. And so therefore, there's no power, there's no authority that the devil has over you. And therefore, it's not that it's the world that is on attack against the church, but it's actually the the church that's on the advance against the world. Right? Because they've been put to shame. Their powers have been disarmed. Do we believe that? And so therefore, we don't need to worry or be terrified anymore when the world starts to resist the word of God because this is the same of what happened to Jesus. In Matthew, he reminds us, I did not, become, I did not come to earth to bring peace, but I came to bring the sword. And so therefore, the sword of his word is what he's left us. 
It's when the sword of this world, uh, of his word, comes to people. And there's two people that the Bible highlights. It's those who surrender to the sword of his word and those who are unwilling. Those who surrender are, are you, your martyrs. When the sword of the word comes to you, you're like, yes, I surrender, Lord. I give you my life. And that word puts us to death. And we become martyrs. And it raises us to new life again. Amen? And so in that way, um, if you're ever going to face persecution, the great reformer Martin Luther said, there are two deaths that the Christian dies. Death to the world. The world has many plans for you. The world has uh, dreams for you. (laughs) And you die to those dreams. And you say, Lord, I take up your will, not the world's. And death to self. The dreams that we have, the aspirations to be an amazing preacher and a, and a, a, a world changer. We die to those things too and we say, Lord, whatever your will is. And once you've died, once you've suffered martyrdom of those two things, the death of the physical body, that's not so terrifying anymore. And these are the things that our persecuted brothers and sisters get, that they are dead to the world they're fully dead to themselves and therefore a moment in prison, a time when you know, we're suffering in the body is not so bad. I don't understand it fully yet, but this is what the word of God challenges us to think. Amen? And so when the unwilling servants, when the sword of his word, the weapon, I'm going to do there. See? It's not this sword anymore. We're not fighting with this sword Rather, when we pick up this sword of his word and we bring it to the world, the unwilling servants of the Lord, rather than being on attack because they've been disarmed, its persecution is self-defense against the word of God. Persecution is the world saying, oh my gosh, I don't want to surrender. I don't want to live the Lord's way. But ultimately, Jesus says, especially when he encounters Paul on the Damascus Road, that resistance against the word of God is ultimately futile. It must come to an end. And so therefore, we have all confidence. We don't need to live in anxiety anymore that the world is amassing an attack against Christians. It's in fact the other way around. We're bringing the sword and they either decide by God's will to surrender or not to surrender. And so the question is, and this is what I want to get to, this is kind of the hinge. Can the world convince the church that the the weapon that the Lord has given them for all eternity to pick up, can the world convince the church to set down that weapon or will the world continue to be faithful martyrs for the Lord Jesus Christ? And how would the world do that? Persecution. (laughs) That's the aim of persecution. So I'll get to my next slide. We know the first type of persecution, and if I were to ask you, is there persecution in Australia? Was there persecution 10 years ago? Absolutely, you would say it now, right? We start to see people lose their jobs, people being put in prison. But was there 10 years ago persecution in Australia? In fact, by the word of God, we know the, the parable of the seed and the sower, When the sower goes out, who's 
the Lord himself. He sows his seed. And it says that the enemy, the birds of the world, come to steal that seed. And it, it closes the ears of the unbelievers. And it, and it closes the ears so that they cannot know, that they cannot believe. And therefore, it's not so much persecution to us, it's persecution of the word. And so the first sign of rejection is indifference, is ridicule, ignorance. So when the, word is, when the word is spoken, when you bring the sword, it is they would ignore it, right? And so in the face of this type of disinterest, is this persecution against the church effective? Absolutely it is. Because when the church realizes that the world is no longer interested anymore in the gospel message, it looks to say, this is how the world responds, oh my gosh, we've got to change strategy. We've got to try and figure out a way to get the world's interest again. We've got to figure out a way to to entertain the world again, bring up the guitarist and, and let's get the lights and the smoke machines going again. Let's sing more contemporary songs and let's... I tell you what, let's, let's actually shorten the Bible readings and the, and the sermons. And let's, let's actually do less of the sword thing, you know, but do more of the world thing. And the world is completely at peace with that. It says, thank you very much. My persecution, my, my, de- my self-defense against the word of the, of the Lord was effective. And therefore, the church is now compromised. Uh, We see that in many parts. I'm being careful what I say because I know I can offend some people with these things. But what happens in the face of persecution, in the face of indifference, that the church continues to remain faithful in preaching the word of God? Faithful to wield in his sword. What happens? Well, the world ramps up its self-defense again. And it goes from ignorance and uh, disinterest to now ridicule and open-aired mocking of Christians. And we would say this is what we're sort of experiencing and seeing in the Western world now. It's saying things like, you guys are so closed-minded. You're homophobic. You don't love anyone. You're proclaiming hate speech. Defense, self-defense against the word, conviction of his sword. And what the church does at this point, it panics. It says, oh my gosh, if people aren't willing to receive the word of the Lord anymore, we've got to to try to make peace with the world in some way. Let's let's join them in going to movies and bars and, and clubs and let's live the way the world lives in order to make friends with them. And then and then we'll try and sprinkle a little bit of gospel messages here and there. Jesus is his word of God, uh, is his word. And that's why Jesus has full confidence in his word uh, that some believe and some don't. But the church sometimes kind of tries to change strategy from what Jesus is proclaiming for us to do. And so I pray that we will continue to be faithful because the church's goal through persecution, through self-defense of the word, is to, help, is to help encourage the church to set aside the proclamation of the word of God. 
it's fine with doing, you know, uh, movies and, you know, uh, food gatherings and it just doesn't want you to speak about the word and it's trying, the world is actually trying to make peace with the church and by doing so, get them to lay down the sword that God has given us. And so what happens in the face of ridicule and indifference if the church remains faithful to preaching God's word? Oh, skip ahead. Legal sanctions. Sanctions against the church, and that looks like discrimination or, or you'd say legislations. We see this a lot in India. Legal anti-discrimination laws to say you can't bring this sword in this area anymore. It's too dangerous. And so therefore, in the, in the face of that, the church again starts to panic and it says, ouch, if, if we can't proclaim the word of God freely anymore, we've got to do whatever it takes to get the good people into parliament and get the bad people out and get the, the good laws, all the laws that are in favor for Christians proclaiming the gospel in and all the ones that are, that are bad. We, we've got to ultimately try and fight the world at their level of authority. Legal battle going to court consistently, money-draining, anxiety. And the Lord's like, okay, you can do that, or you can continue to proclaim my word. And this is what I will stand with you 100% of the time. In fact, 10 of the fastest-growing churches in the world are all enclosed countries where they have zero religious freedom. They don't openly proclaim without being persecuted. But yet the Lord is faithfully building his church in the face of persecution. Uh, So if I were to ask you, and maybe I'll ask you that question a little bit later. And so, so, so the church at this point becomes convinced that it cannot effectively proclaim the word of God until laws are put in their favor. But if we look at the book of Acts, we know that Jesus said, all authority under heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Therefore, there's no legal sanctions that need to go in my favor. There's no laws that need to be passed for the word to effectively go and do whatever the word wants to do. And we see this in North Korea. And and I'm going to get to that now. And so the lesson our persecuted brothers and sisters teach us over and over again, it's okay. It's God's blessing when you have church buildings, when you have seminaries, They're very good. When you have pastors, they're so helpful. But when you don't, it's okay too. The word of the Lord is sufficient. And a lot of the time, the goal of the pastor is to prepare you for the time when he's not there anymore. And we're seeing things like that in China. The pastors are all being, most of them are being locked up and the church fends for itself by staying true to the word of God. Amen? I'm not uh, condemning you to, to go to prison anytime soon. We like you, Pastor David. <laughs> and so I'll get on to when. When we think of our persecuted brothers and sisters, and we, we sometimes look at them and pity them, and, and sometimes look like we want to give them a hand up to help them to become like us, rather, that's backwards. 
it's almost like they're standing here as our mature brothers and sisters, and we're over there, and they, they're looking at us, and, we're, and they're saying, come on, you can take a bit of suffering. Come on, you can go to prison for the word. It's okay. Come on, martyrdom's not so bad. And so we look at these martyrs, these faithful brothers and sisters in 68 countries, and we're saying, I can learn from this person. I've been discipled by persecuted brothers and sisters more than anything, I would say, because they, they know that Jesus is sufficient. And that's, that's my goal as a Christian in every sense of the matter. And so therefore, the exhortation from Hebrews 13.3, continue to remember those who are in prison as you yourselves were in prison, or those who are mistreated, as you yourselves were going through the same suffering, does that not make more sense of this verse now, this exhortation, of why a persecuted church is called to remember persecuted Christians who are faithfully serving, singing the Lord's praises in prison, witnessing, doing Bible studies in prison, because they have a message for us that we're yet to discover. I mean, some of us have. My generation, they, they get told off and they start a riot. <laughs> and so there's so much that our brothers and sisters can teach us. In North Korea, in many places around the world, we have many unwilling servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, the ones that refuse to surrender to his sword. Uh, we may know some of them, Xi Jinping, Kim Il-sang, Vladimir Putin, even, uh, I won't get too political here. Um, <laughs> and so when these things happen, we, we start to rejoice. When persecution comes, we start to rejoice because we know that it's the faithful proclamation of God's word in countries where it's restricted or it's, it's the self-defense is starting to be ramped up. In North Korea, it is impossible, we understand and we know, it's impossible to do what we are doing right now. In fact, North Korea is closed to every form of spirituality except for Kim Il-sungism. In the 1949, the Soviets came through and they gave Kim Il-sung an option. Will you stand with us? In fact, Kim Il-sung used to have, the North Korean founding leader used to have a pastor Worship leaders in his bloodline. The Lord's Spirit was poured out in North Korea before it was divided north and south about a hundred or so years ago. In fact, the exact date was in the 1880s, and then revival broke out in the 1907 uh, One Sun revival. And so the Lord tarried there, had many Christians. In fact, North Korea was known as the Jerusalem of the East for many years. Many people from Asia would come there to study and learn missions. Billy Graham, Ruth Graham's wife, was from uh, Pyongyang. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Two of the largest churches that are in South Korea. South Korea holds 10 of the 11 largest churches in the world. Two of them were planted by North Korean missionaries. The gospel was originally rejected in the South and accepted in the North. And so, as the Lord tarried there, Kim Il-sung, with his distorted mind, His mother used to go to church with him, and mothers, maybe this is a a lesson, um, 
not to fall asleep in church because he would go to church with his mother and he would ask her, why do you always fall asleep in church? And, her, and his res, or hers response was, I think was a, was a good one, but he took it the wrong way and she said, it's the only place where I can come to find peace and rest. And so when the compromise came, he said, see, this is the problem with Christianity. It puts you to sleep. It's boring. He liked some parts of Christianity, the faithful gatherings, the singing of hymnals, the, the, the loyalty. And so what he decided to do was to take the God of the Bible, Yahweh, and to replace it with himself. And so you, there's three churches in North Korea. They sing from the hymnals. They recite uh, the Ten Commandments. And some of the hymnals would be like, how great thou art. But instead of singing it to the God of the Bible, they'll sing it to Kim Il-sung. Instead of saying that the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other God before you but the Lord God, they would say Kim Il-sung. And so they believe that they're created in his image. And this is the distortion he took on. And I want to make this point. Do we now see why persecution is so different in North Korea compared to places like under Islamic control, Iran and Afghanistan, for example, or Hinduism. Because the very word of God will prove that regime to be a fraud and a liar. And so therefore, every Bible is, is paranoid to be burned, every church dismantled, every believer executed in order for them to continue to reign in their regime. But the Lord laughs at these things. Let me, let me give you a fact. Does anyone remember that time not too long ago, um, uh, COVID? It was a little bit uh, terrible for some people. I'm, I'm not trying to, to speak about it lightly. But during the COVID pandemic, the North Korean church experienced the biggest growth. More Bibles got into North Korea than in, in any other time in the ministry of South Korea. How is that possible? I mean, when you speak to South Korean missionaries and, and churches, they were sending all of their missionaries back into local missions or local outreach or, or, or bringing them back. And the churches were closed and churches were online and it was horrible for everyone. You know, you couldn't talk over people because only one can talk at a time. And such a contrast to the North Korean church. When COVID came... In their hearts, they said, the Lord is up to something, and we can trust him in this. Every year, twice a year, the North Korean households are searched vigorously for Bibles, for contraband, and, and for believers. And at the time of the pandemic, state security agents didn't want to be the irresponsible ones to go into someone's house, contract COVID, and then bring it back to the villages. And so, therefore, all um, house searches were, were put on hold for nearly two years. And also, radio broadcast network, people were in their homes consistently. We send over two radio broadcast networks in the nighttime when people are at home. They're not working. This happened now, and they sent a message to South Korea saying, send Bibles quickly. (laughs) 
Nobody's searching our home anymore. Send the word of God. And so therefore, this demand of 50,000 every year during COVID doubled in amount into North Korea. Now, instead of two broadcasts every day into people's homes, uh, obviously we're battling against the government to change the frequencies consistently. They preach the gospel. They preach sermons that uh, uh, past North Korean missionaries preached. But instead of that twice a day now, it, it happens five times a day during the COVID pandemic. And so the word of God went wherever the word of God wanted to go. According to Timothy, the word of God is not bound. It can go to North Korea. And in fact, you may think of North Korea as the most closed country in the world. I think of North Korea as the only place where the word of God falls from the sky. Amen? And so COVID in North Korea is remembered as the, ch- the, the time of great growth of the church, of great expansion of the word. And so isn't our Lord wise when we look to his kingdom perspective instead of sometimes holding strongly onto tradition and the way we do things and we're like, when COVID is finished, we'll get back to doing these things. When COVID's finished, we'll get back to proclaiming the gospel. The gospel was active during COVID in closed countries more than anything. Praise God. And I hope that uh, we can maybe give a, a round of applause to the Lord Jesus for his sovereignty over these things. I can go on and on and speaking about North Korea, but I just want to give you this one little, one little uh, heart seed to show more of God's sovereignty, that we don't need to worry when persecution comes, when our countries are closed off to the gospel. Because in fact, in North Korea, many churches weren't really looking to translate the Bible into the North Korean language. It's 40% different to the Chinese language because Kim Il-sung took, all, took out all of the root words. And so therefore, they can't understand when the Bible is read in South Korean to North but the Lord wasn't waiting for Weinclef to translate the Bible. He wasn't waiting for the International Bible Society. In fact, he said, I'm going to take the worst persecutors of the church in human history, and I'm going to get them to translate the most uh, faithful Bible translation to the Hebrew and Greek. <laughs> this generation. And so the Lord, when uh, the UN came, to North Korea, and they said, maybe, maybe we're seeing things a bit uh, different, but we don't believe that you have religious freedom in your country. And Kim Il-sung and his regime said, oh my gosh, yes we do. I tell you, we do. Look, it's in our constitution, religious freedom. <laughs> and so the Lord used the UN and other missions organizations to pressure Kim Il-sung And what Kim Il-sung said in his mind, he said, okay, this is what we'll do. We'll translate the Bible, the closest to the Hebrew and Greek to the Korean language, because the South Korean Bible was originally put together with string and tape, English here, Chinese here. And in fact, the North Korean people love to degrade South Korea in everything, in arts, in sport, and especially if they could proclaim that they had religious freedom they would be able to boast in these things. 
And so the Lord said, well, I will translate the Bible with them. And so 50,000 of the Bibles that go into North Korea are now translated from the very enemies that, the, that were uh, defending themselves against the word. Right? That's amazing because God is so sovereign that he can use even the unwilling servants to get his will done on the earth. I just want to show you this quick video. It doesn't have any sound, but this is the Bibles that get sent via wind channels from, North, uh, from South Korea into North, and it's dropped in various regions where even soldiers, we know of soldiers picking them up and reading them or selling them on the black market. They go by either sea or land distribution. I will skip that testimony, but I'll just quickly highlight. In China, China, similar to North Korea, may look like a beast that is very difficult to overcome. This is how the world is proclaiming China. But our God is so sovereign that less than a million evangelical Christians were known to be in China in the 1949 revival or revolution. Up to this point, a social, uh, socialist, um, secular sociologist group have predicted by 2030 that Christianity is going to grow to the point of 224 million Christians in China. And they said if persecution ramps up, of Xi Jinping actually looks to um, make sure that even if there's years that Christianity doesn't grow in China, 224 million is predicted. That's 20% of the nation's population, and it's also way more than there are Communist Party members. And so the God, God will continue to tarry. And in, in fact, this man is a testimony to that. He's been imprisoned multiple times for preaching the word of God. In fact, uh, when he goes to prison, he gets sometimes sent on 10-day retreats, 20-day uh, retreats. He says, that, he says that to his mom. Hallelujah to the Lord. The God, God, for me, proclaiming the gospel, has gifted me with a time of spiritual retreat. And then he continues to share the gospel faithfully in the prison cells. And at one point, when the authority leaders took him back out of prison, back to his home, this man that is so sold out for the gospel mentioned that he had three hours of non-stop sharing of the word of the Lord and even one authority member wanted to get a Bible, a New Testament Bible, and so he gave his life to the Lord. But I, I'm trying to say that the persecuted church understands that all authority under heaven and on earth has been given to our Lord Jesus. And so there is nothing that is stopping you for, for being a faithful martyr of the Lord Jesus Christ in Burwood, in your families, in your communities. And I pray that he will find you as a faithful martyr running in the race, great cloud of witnesses of our persecuted brothers and sisters 
And so I, please don't be afraid of persecution. When persecution comes, we rejoice because we know the word and the will of the Lord is being done and soon it will be put to an end. Let me close there. If anyone wanted to stand with the persecuted, with Voice of the Martyrs, in continuing to get the gospel to go out into these various nations, the four funds that goes 100% of that goes onto the field. The only fund that stays here is the fifth fund, which is the Voice of the Martyrs ministry one, and that goes to the upkeep of my, my Lamborghini and my, my private jet. Fuel is quite expensive these days, so I, yeah, please be generous. <laughs> but these are free gifts for you. This is not my pressure at all, but I would love for you to be encouraged by faithful testimonies of perseverance through suffering. And so I'll just pray for us on that. Lord, I I thank you so much that we are able to, to see once our minds are open to what you are trying to say to the churches. We can see a glimpse of just your sovereign hand in everything. And so we do not need to worry. In fact, you tell us over and over again, do not be afraid, but just be my faithful witness of your glory. And so I just pray a blessing upon every brother and sister here that may be struggling or maybe already faithfully serving, that they would be exhorted in their faith. In Jesus' name, amen.